you're one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday. Each week, you get to learn something new. You listen this week. The mad, bad and dangerous life of Fred Ward, better known as Captain Thunderbolt. Your teacher is Tom Wright, Artistic Director at the Belvoir Theatre. Tom, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Richard. He's one of our most famous, or if you'd prefer, infamous bushrangers. He he died on this day in dramatic circumstances, as usual for a bush bush uh, ranger, in 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 eighteen seventy. Yes, one hundred and whatever it is, fifty two days ago, um, we lost Captain Thunderbolt. Uh, and he came to the end that he was inevitably going to come to. Okay, we're going to explain a bit of his legend, but let's go right back to, to the beginning. He's, he's born close to here in the Hawkesbury in, in 1835. Yes, he was a, a Windsor lad from convict background, as you might expect, born on the Hawkesbury and moved around that Wilberforce area. By the time he was in his 20s, he was already a skilled horse thief. He spent a few years in prison, he was released, and then he was arrested for the same crime. Mm. And, put, and, and put in chains, right, at, oh, yeah. at some points. Oh, and... and and behind several layers of sandstone. It di- didn't hold him, though. Of course, one of the early claims to notoriety for Fred Ward was that he was one of the very earliest blokes to escape from Cockatoo Island. He escaped the chains, he escaped the walls, and he swam across the harbour to Woolwich and made his way to freedom. Okay, this starts to to, to build the uh, build the legend, I, I suppose. He lived in the bush, didn't he? Yes, he, he met up with a woman called Mary Ann, Mary Ann Bug, a Gringai woman, an Indigenous woman, and they eked out a living from horse stealing and petty crime. He, so he, but he was a superb bushman, and I know this sounds like an obvious thing to say, but he was one of those blokes who could just slip between two gum trees and never be seen by anyone. He had a instinct for what it was to survive, and he lived rough, as mm-hmm. did Marianne, uh, which made him hard to catch, I suppose. The other thing that made him hard to catch is he, he, uh, he, he went far and wide, didn't he? He, this is one of the extraordinary things for people who follow bushrangers. Most bushrangers stuck to the land that they knew for obvious reasons. They stayed in their comfort zone. He ranged everywhere from Burke right down to the Upper Hunter all the way up into, up into Queensland. Because of his bush skills and particularly horse, his horsemanship, he was able to range across an extraordinary um, uh, mm-hmm. amount of land. And um, so he was – and that's one of the reasons why he's of interest now, of course, is that he was um, – he was a, a creature of Australia. And, of course, the other great factor that we should probably say right from the outset is unlike, say, the, the Ben Halls or the Ned Kellys or the other more notorious bush rangers, Ward was never known to have shot anyone in anger or anyone at all mm. for that matter. In fact, he was, people say he was quite genial even yeah. when he was sticking you up. Well, he was a tall, slender curly haired, quite charming bloke, not a man of great education necessarily of erudition, but he knew his place in the world, so to speak. And his place was uh, to be something of an Antipodean Robin Hood, mm. at least maybe in his own mythology. Where does, the, where does Thunderbolt come from? Where does the nickname oh, come yeah, from? This was about halfway through his criminal career, or certainly early on. Um, he was holding up the uh, the toll bar at Rutherford there, you know, in the Hunter Valley. And while he was holding it up, the toll collector there, a chap called Delaney, um, was being interviewed by the police after the robbery had t- taken in place and he said when when Ward kicked down the door it sounded like a thunderbolt had gone off and at that point the name stuck and so this idea of naming our bush rangers captain this and captain that mm. this is the perhaps the the quintessential one captain thunderbolt he okay. comes like a 
Boulder Lightning. The, the, the police don't hunt people seriously unless they've they've somehow them or their gang has injured one of their own. So so that's that happens in 1865, doesn't it? Oh yeah, up near Gunnedah. He, he one of the other things about him is that he didn't have a regular gang. Unlike the Kellys, he picked up kind of waifs and strays, and so he had a couple of blokes who'd hang out with him and so on. But on the whole, he was pretty much a loner. He he was with a couple of these blokes at a certain point um, here near Gunnedah, and um, when they were hunted down by the police, they'd made the mistake of. Um, um, well, they'd, they'd held up an inn and uh, they'd been dancing and drinking with the locals and the usual sort of story. Uh, and when he was uh, tracked by the police, one of his mates panicked and shot and wounded a police officer. At that point, they split up and Thunderbolt made two promises to himself, never to let himself get caught drunk again and mm-hmm. certainly not to work with people he couldn't trust. Okay, but because drink, drink was his weakness, wasn't it? Yeah, his great weakness was the booze and um, he had a number of close shaves over the following years in spite of his promise to himself and he was nearly always described actually when people saw him, they said he seemed to always be inebriated, but he was never so inebriated that he wasn't clever enough to slip away. Somehow slip away. So there's close shave after close shave. Often he uh, he orders a, another beer at the bar before he makes good his escape. Did the uh, you, you mentioned Marianne? Did she stick by him? Yeah, it's, well, obviously the records in the 1860s aren't necessarily um, watertight, shall we say, but as far as um, historians can make out, Marianne did stick by him for as, as best she could and tried to keep up with him across the land. And that was up until the time when she gave birth to their son, who was also called Fred in um, 1868. And after that, obviously, a big, the, they, they went their separate ways. Uh, young Fred um, survived childhood, which is in itself an achievement in, the, in those frontier days, and he went on to become a groom and a horse trainer. He had a, a genetics family skill with horses and um, he lived almost until the Second World War deep into the 1930s so Captain Thunderbolt's legacy did live on through his son. Okay but he uh, in the end of course as always happens uh, fate caught up with him. Yes, well, our listeners who come from New England and certainly anyone who comes from Urala knows this because practically the entire town um, knows this story backwards. But uh, he was drinking at an inn in a gully just outside Urala near a particular set of rocks, which to this day are still known by everyone as Captain Thunderbolt's rocks there. Yeah, they're right on the New England Highway. Yeah, they? everybody yeah. knows just, them. It's just a, to the right as you head Yeah, and, and he purportedly used them as a lookout and so on. But it was not far from there that he was drinking in, in, in a particular inn and the innkeeper's wife warned him the police were on the way. He ordered another round before he fled. And of course, because he was a little bit under the weather, he jumped on the wrong horse. The horse he drunk on wasn't his seasoned bush horse. It was someone else's untrained green horse. And so when the police officer pursued him, what would previously have been a no-brainer for Captain Thunderbolt ended up with him in a creek near there, uh, which we know is Kentucky Creek. Um, and um, the horse was shot out from under him being a bit slow by Constable Walker. And at that point, Captain Thunderbolt was in a bit of strife. Mm. And there in the waters of Kentucky Creek, Creek, he was shot through the breast and brought down. On this day, 152 years ago, the end of Thunderbolt. This is a curious uh, sort of part of the iconography of the time, I suppose. They they photograph his body post-mortem. Yeah, and I know many listeners will be familiar with, of course, the um, with the, the shot of a the member of the Kelly gang being hung up outside Benalla courtroom post-mortem as well. And it was also very familiar from frontier zones in Canada, the United States and so on, is that often when criminals were captured, they were photographed post-mortem somewhat ghoulishly and then reproduced as souvenir postcards, which were distributed throughout the district. And that certainly to this day and up until quite recently, you can still find in antique shops the old... Mo- 
slightly mm. disgusting <laughs> um, images of the the dead Captain Thunderbolt there in his straw hat and his rough hewn shirt lying on the slab at Urala. It was a an ignominious end, shall we say? Is that to prove that they're dead? The ba- you know, finally the bastard's dead, sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, and I think it's also a bit of a memento mori, if you like. You know, remember, remember we all must die, and even the most heroic uh, people who stare down fate will eventually get their own. Okay, it's now, I suppose, the legacy. You talk about Thunderbolt Rock, obviously. His grave is there in Urala, isn't it? Yes, and it's still quite visited, and there's a statue, and there's also a memorial to Constable Walker, who um, captured him. So, yes, um, he's well-remembered, certainly, in that part of the world. And you can visit the museum there and gain even more information on his fascinating life. A couple of other things, interesting, again, the period. Uh, you mentioned the the, 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 uh, the portrait of his dead body. When it goes on display, they raise money and they give it to the constable who shot him as a reward. Well, that was, that people queued up. They queued up for a kilometre through the streets of Urella to, 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 to get a, say, that I saw the dead body of Captain Thunderbolt. So, yes, and the penny or whatever it was, I don't know the exact sum that they collected was, yes, given in a purse mm-hmm. to the successful officer. I mean, it's this imagery is the key point, you know, Richard, obviously coming from artistic background because Captain Thunderbolt had a lasting impact upon the mythology of Australia. There's been three or four films and radio plays and so on made of him. He didn't disappear into obscurity. He was one of those that was able to become mythic. And perhaps the most lasting legacy for that will jog people's memories, if you go to the National Gallery in Canberra, one of Tom Roberts' great masterpiece paintings is a painting called In a Corner on the McIntyre up near Inverell there in, in New England. And when you look at this wonderful painting, you you know, blazing sunlight, a, a cliff face next to a, a pool on a, a river. It could be anywhere in Australia and you think it's almost an abstract design and then you see a horse drinking from the water. It seems so placid. But next to the horse, almost disappearing back into the rock face, is Captain Thunderbolt engaged in a shootout or trying to evade the, a trooper who's at the other side of the, the cliff. And you realise that this kind of eternal um, and beautifully painted vision of nature has a moment of colonial frontier violence um, present within it, almost like a Where's Wally? You have to look so closely (laughs) for it. And so Captain Thunderbolt's story informs so much of our great Heidelberg School artistry. Tom Wright, thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. uh, Tom Wright, Artistic Director at Belvoir Street Theatre with the story of Captain Thunderbolt.